Action Park Media. Welcome to an episode of Victory the Podcast. I am Doug Ellen. And I am Kevin Connolly, and it's a bonus edition, Friday bonus edition, which I'm starting to like, Doug. Yeah, Connolly loves that bonus. It, uh, I don't know. I think it, it takes off some stress from you. You think, like, we can be slack. It's not that. I don't feel necessarily a pressure to be funny, and what are we talking about? This is inside baseball. It's a little bit behind the scenes. You know, we got a lot of actors, directors, people of all parts of the business that listen to the podcast, and today is a... Uh, Today we, I mean, today we got, honestly, when I think about the most important people on this show, forgetting actors, Janice Tajdian was one of the tops. I mean, she was post-production supervisor. For anyone who's not in the business, it's a completely underappreciated job. Oh, under, yeah. Underpaid job. Yeah. She did everything. She made sure we got everything done. She also got James Cameron for the show. Well, that's her that's her big get. But also the post-production supervisor, when you walk off of a set, so all the stuff that goes into prep and shooting, and then when everybody else goes home, the post-production supervisor kicks in and she takes it from the film and the camera and she puts it on the screen. Sound, music, edit, color timing, everything you can think of and she's in charge of all. And she also has to deal with every single ego that's involved in the show from who directed the episode to Venner and his music coming in late, which I know. Expensive. Venner, I know Venner. Yeah, expensive too. But I know Venner will say he's never late. But you know, Venner's like, he was like our, our resident music supervisor artist who would just like move at his own pace. And Janice is the one who's got to nag we everybody. We need to have this done by Friday at five o'clock or the episode will not be ready kind of thing. Right? Yep. And she would get it done. So I'm excited to talk to her. But question, this will come out in the interview and we'll let well, obviously, she'll expand on this, but we lost her to James Cameron. <laughs> we we lost her to James Cameron. I mean, can you believe that? She'd walk away for Avatar. I mean, is that crazy? But I mean, and when, <laughs> when that happens, you go, oh, yeah, okay. Well, thank you for joining us, right? Yeah. When, they, when somebody's leaving you and says, listen, I got another job, because you're, you're a grudge guy, as am I, hmm. but... What well, well, can you say I'm about not a, James Cameron? I'm, I'm right? not a judge guy when it's James Cameron. Right. And also... So where are you going, Janice? Yeah, where uh, could you... Sure, it's a big opportunity. <laughs> what great opportunity do you have? Yeah, I'm sure that fucking movie with the blue guys <laughs> is going to be really oh, big. Oh, yeah, right. And it's like James Cameron's avatar. You're like, oh, all right, well, good luck. Hey, yeah. listen, if you ever get to uh, tell Jim I lie, I'm a fan <laughs> of his work. But and by the way, Janice was gone for three seasons and then came back. And she had such a big impact on the show when we I spoke to her on the phone last week. I didn't even remember she was gone for three seasons seasons like it all kind of blurred into one i'm like janice you you did everything the whole time so right she was not there for the sort of seasons that were uh, at that point it was a well-oiled machine but she's the one that got it got it up and running she got it up and running but she came back and then she did my pilot 40 and then she did the movie and uh she then went on to do ballers and she's doing in treatment right now and she is but again like i say janice is someone who should be able to do whatever she wants in this business she's great with editing she's great with musical choices she's just awesome before we bring her on a couple questions that you gotta you want to help me ask her i mean even adr which is additional dialogue replacement is gotta be scheduled and booked i mean just that color timing she does all that right she does everything she'll explain it i really thought it was additional uh recording so this replacement thing is a whole well other it's thing. true so i initially i said additional dialogue recording and then kevin said it's replacement kevin Kurigi and the maestro said replacement i said i don't know man we went and we googled it and he was right wow Wow. ADR, additional dialogue replacement. If you're if you're doing a scene and, and a, an ambulance drives by in the middle of the line and they don't have it clean, you have to go in and 
replace the dialogue. Additional so Kevin dialogue. Corrigan does have some useful information. Kevin Corrigan, though, didn't know who the Corrigan. fuck. Corrigan. didn't know who the fuck Andrew Dice Clay is, which is just stunning information to me. He thought that, uh, I, I can say this, right? Dice, Dice probably won't listen to this episode, but he he thought that uh, he was the honky-tonk man from the WWE. Remember the honky-tonk <laughs> man? I guess he did a quick search and, uh, you know, I guess maybe at a certain point Dice looked like uh, the honky-tonk man. The outfits. The I outfits mean, is what got me. Dice will stab you in the face if he heard you call him the honky tonk. But you know what? I don't even want to talk about like stabbing in the face. I want you, Kevin. <laughs> I want you to go back. I want you to look at some I told old him, bro. I told Andrew him. Dice Clay comedy. But aside from that, he was almost nominated. I, I mean, almost. Who knows? But there was a big talk for him being nominated for Blue Jasmine, Woody Allen's movie. Uh, he was then in... Um, what did he do with oh, Scorsese? Sorry, he did though. the Scorsese vinyl. He did the TV oh, he show did Scorsese vinyl. Yeah, vinyl no, and then he did Stars Born. You did. You blew him up. You well, him up. I wasn't even looking for that. I was yeah, trying to say, no, no, no. I yes, was just trying to tell Corrigan that it's time to get with the program. <laughs> and by the way, I see, I can't even tell you what's going on in Action Park over here. Sophie Julia and fucking Robbie Berger are like, they're like new talent at the, the what do you call this? An agency? A production company? What's this place? It's a media group, bro. So they now watch us in the booth and, and Berger fucking drinks like he's he's kind of giving me like, what are you doing over there? You? Like, judging me. You're like, not that funny? Like, what's so great yeah, about Yeah, like, remember like, when Stocktip would sit on the floor here? He wouldn't laugh at anything I said? I'm yeah, not he sure. hasn't been back. So you banished Stocktip. <laughs> no, I did not. But <laughs> but Berger, when I'm with him live, he thinks I'm funny as shit, but he hasn't laughed once in the window. So yeah, I don't know what's he say? You haven't said anything that funny. All right, coming back from the break, <laughs> Entourage post-production supervisor Janice Tajian. All right, welcome back. As I said in our uh, little chat before... Our guest, God, here. This is one of my favorite people and honestly, one of the most important people to this show. Uh, Janice Tajian, how are you? Hey, guys. How you doing, Thanks Janice? Thanks for inviting me. I, uh, I wore this special T-shirt for you guys today. Explain that. This is the Alien Entourage. And way back when, when we did Comic-Con episode, my cousin, who owns this company called Earth Alien, made these for the Comic-Con episode. Nice. How come we never got them, Janice? I mean, what's you up? did. You just forgot. Look at the back. Oh, I want it. Oh my goodness. Can, can you, you read it? Yeah. Can your cousin make some more? Dylan loves space, by the way, so he'd be thrilled by these. <laughs> you know, he wants it to, says yeah. it says they're out there. Uh, Dylan's out there, but Dylan wants to do a, a separate podcast from us. He wants to do a space podcast. And he wants you to produce it. Yeah, so <laughs> you'll be calling you very soon. A lot of people that listen to the podcast are are big into either acting, directing, writing cinematography, whatever it is, lots of different uh, positions in the business. And Doug and I both know, obviously, how important the post-production supervisor is. So just for people listening, you take it from the day we wrap, you take it and you put it on the screen, right? So can you expand on what what the actual job of the post-production supervisor is? Oh, I am going to expand on that because my job does not start when you guys wrap. My job starts during prep. I think it's just a little bit more invisible because I'm not necessarily on set all the time. But my responsibilities include overseeing all of the picture editorial, sound editorial, music, visual effects, color, playback. Um, so I typically start pretty early in prep, depending on the show, and stay till the end. And yes, of course, our prime focus is completing and putting on the air. Um, but definitely involved in the process. So Janice, what I was saying before you got on, it's to me, you were clearly the most underappreciated person on the entire show. And, 
you know, it's a weird thing, this business, because and, and the reason there are unions for certain things is because they've done stuff to make sure that that people don't get that. But you didn't have a union behind you for this, really. Correct. I mean, that. No. And and that's since changed for post supervisors. Um, and I'll just go on record as saying, even though post is often overlooked in a certain way, um, I can say categorically that when I worked with you guys on Entourage and other projects, I never personally felt underappreciated because you guys were always very generous and giving when when you were assigning roles and being very inclusive. So that was always such a pleasure. But I think I was saying to you a couple of weeks ago when we first started talking is that I was thrilled that you guys want to look behind the scenes because there are a lot of roles that are filled that are critical in getting the work done. They're just not necessarily on the front line where people where people can see it. Right. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I don't think it's um, it's so much underappreciated as an unsung hero, right? Is that a better way? It's sort of unsung. No, I think, I think it's actually underappreciated. Well, I just think most people don't know. I think yeah, to the but layman's. I'm, saying, I'm right. saying even to the people who work on the show, there's a lot of people who don't appreciate what this job or entails. Or exactly what it entails. Yeah, right. but let's, Jess, let's get into the beginning. So how, how did Entourage come to you? You were working on, uh, you were working with Sir James Cameron uh, when we when we started beginning, correct? So interestingly, uh, the job came to me through Tim Marks, who I had worked with on Arliss. And Tim was a producer of Tim Entourage. Was, right. So Tim was was producing the pilot and I had just had my son. It was just a couple months after uh, my son was born. And Tim called me up and he was looking for a post-supervisor recommendation. He asked me if I had anybody to recommend. And I said, what the hell, Tim? Why aren't you asking me to do this job? And he said, well, you know, you're, you're not a post-supervisor anymore. You have producing credit and, you know, it's a shit title and it's shit money and it's a small pilot. So I didn't think you'd want to do it. Really selling us, really Tim Marks, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I said, well, I, I would love to be considered. I'm, I'm not going to give you any recommendations because I want to recommend myself. So I asked him to send me the script. And he said, ah, yeah, <laughs> I'm not really sure you're going to like it. Um, it's, it's very male-centric. Very male-centric. So what, do you know me? Like, I, I, I have no problem with that. So send it. Anyway, so he sent me the script, and which I loved um, and, and believed in from the moment I read it. Was it was very well written. Uh, and it, it was very well written. <laughs> very well written. And I just, got, I just got a big laugh out of it. I just thought it was going to be a monster. And I was really happy to be involved. So you guys hired me. And that was the pilot, 17 plus years ago. <laughs> 17 that's years ago. That, a, that's that's a, take a deep breath. That, that doesn't even make that. sense. We had David Frankel on a couple of weeks ago, which was great catching up with him about how we shot the pilot and kind of how the show evolved cinematically after the pilot. I mean, there were things that I wanted to do in the pilot that, you know, we just didn't have time to do. And David was also really great at making sure we had enough coverage, which uh, Janice maybe shed some light on whether we always had enough coverage because I was very big on getting these long one takes and, and some of our other directors were very into that as well. That was kind of groundbreaking style um, that was that was done on the show, which I loved. Did, did Fearberg shoot the pilot? I can't remember. Fearberg did not shoot the pilot. Angel Decker shot the pilot. And Fearberg was unavailable. And then he came in for episode two. 
Yeah, you know, one of the joys of of my job is getting to work closely with the director of photography, which is another thing that I get involved with pretty early on. We talk about the look of the show, the style of the show. And of course, throughout the entire series, uh, we continue to shoot on film when a lot of shows were going digital, which is a joy and maddening all at the same time. Um, and we shot the movie on film too, which was really great. And it was really important to Fairberg that we stay on film and me as well. But tell me, Janice, what were the, what are some of the downfalls of it? Or, or what's the, the differences between the digital and film? I, I, I mean, I love, I love the look of film and, you know, the earliest days of my career started in, in film based um, producing and editing. And so I certainly have, have a love of that. Um, really the only downfall is more time for processing because you're going through a, t- you know, traditional film processing, and then you have to take the film and transfer it to tape if you're, if you're cutting digitally um, and film dirt. That's it. Yeah, well, well, you're talking about like the U, the U2 concert was shooting Friday night. And if it was digital, we would have seen it right then. We would have known what we had, but we had to wait the entire weekend to even see if it came out. Do you remember when you saw those That's dailies? Because right. I just, oh, of course. I've told people that, you know, it was so magical, but the lights were going down and Bono says happy birthday in Spanish to drama. And I, the whole weekend didn't sleep because I was like convinced that it was too dark and we'd never see anything. And that was your birthday. It, it, wow. Correctly. Oh my God, Janice. Remembers. Good memory. I remember. And that was at the end of, wasn't that the end of the Comic-Con episode? Uh, right? That, was, took off that to was the end of the go, Comic-Con. Come back to, yeah. Yep. And that was like, that was, I think my 20th birthday, I think. 20. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember when you saw those dailies? Uh, well, first of all, it was so exciting because part of the the wonder and the enjoyment of the show, at least for me, was the realism. Um, particularly in the relationships, but being able to go into places like a live concert, a restaurant, all the real places were all so much their own character in the show that just being there forgives certain things like, oh yeah, it's a little dark. Yeah, I wish there were spotlights on our cast member, but who the fuck cares? It was amazing. It was ridiculous. And one of the things that speaks to how post is sort of managed and understood, probably nobody knows that months later, after we cut the scenes and went to mix the scenes, how deeply we had to interact with the YouTube people to approve what we were doing, all the way down to the actual sound mix, the final mix. Wow. And those are the, um, those are the things that Janice is really handling, where everybody's trying not to that tell is me. Tedious, man. Well, but also everyone's not telling me because I just go into a panic if anything bad might happen. Did and- Connolly just say? Did Connolly just say that's tedious? tedious? No, I mean it's really to have to it, it, to really to have to sit there and worry. Can you imagine if Doug had even a one percent inkling in his head that Bono might have pulled the plug on that at the last second? Do you generally, Janice, protect uh, the filmmaker or the showrunner from those kinds of disasters? And, and it's a, on a on a need to know basis. So that's that's a great question because I'm a big fan of of information and communication. And sometimes the trick of knowing our jobs is knowing how much to share and how much can be handled without sharing or causing stress, but also being transparent and honest. I do think that sometimes you might think you're saving someone from getting too bogged down in certain details. But if they don't know and they find out later, they're going to be fucking pissed. 
that you didn't share. So I feel it's like just this like is a psychological. Is- I feel like this is a psychological question, though, Janice. And you're gonna go, well, with Doug, I didn't want to tell him anything. He not didn't at need all. to know. Well, everybody's no, not different. At all. Everybody's fact, different. Let me just go on to say that part of the beauty of our working relationship on Entourage is that you very much embraced allowing people like myself to do what they did best. So if I'm out there performing my job and you are consistently happy, you were happy to just let those things happen and and not create a situation where I had to run to you with every little question or every little detail because I I was I had freedom to help make those decisions on our behalf because everyone else was busy doing other things that were just as, if not way more important. And I think that for, for anyone who's ever going to run a show or wants to run a show, that is imperative. Same as any business. You have to find the people that you really believe in and trust that can handle their stuff. And the truth is with Janice, we got into a, our, our relationship grew to the point where I really trusted you to the point of sometimes even with music, it would be like, listen, you heard the choice, the three choices Venner's got. I trust you guys. So you guys figure it out. And it has to, because otherwise your whole life becomes consumed, but it's also the better ideas may come from somebody else who's, who's doing whatever. And Janice, you know, I, I talk about how much great stuff that you did for the show, but we got to obviously talk about the, the one big thing. Let's that, talk about the elephant in the room. Yeah. Let's talk about it, Janice. So Janice, the only great thing I ever did. No, no, you did a million um, great I'm kidding. things. I'm but, totally kidding. But this was, this was not the great thing you did. This was a, a, I put you in a bad spot and that was, you had worked on, um, dark angel, dark angel. So dark angel with Jessica Alba and, Sir James Cameron. Okay. So Janice, we don't even know each other that well at this point. We're kind of just getting going. The show is stressed out. You get a script that basically has James Cameron playing himself in it. Do you remember this? Well, this is what I remember. So we were between season one and season two. And while we were on hiatus and you were writing, I was doing an IMAX feature with Jim called Ghost of the Abyss. And a really amazing project. Um, and in the very, very earliest days of 3D. So very extremely pioneering experience. Um, I was also pregnant the entire time <laughs> I was doing that project. Um, so I was working with Jim on this IMAX project and you guys were writing season two. And season one was very successful. We had a great time. Um, but all of a sudden, um, I got a call that you wanted to messenger me the first couple of scripts. And I was like, oh, that's cool. (laughs) Oh, maybe we're getting going sooner than I thought. Or So these scripts show up, I read them, and Jim is the cornerstone (laughs) of these scripts. And I was like, wow, they're really going for it this year. I had no sense of that having anything to do with me. I was just like, oh, this is so cool. Doug's sending me scripts. Maybe he wants to hear what I have to say about the scripts. Like, this is awesome. Which I did. Um, So then... Not that long goes by, just a couple of days, and you called me up and you said, so <laughs> what'd you think of the first couple scripts? I was like, oh, they're great. I'm like, yeah, thanks for including me. Um, like, can't wait. And there's this silence, this just long silence. And you're like, so? I'm like, so? And you said, well, go get it. <laughs> I mean, you're obviously halfway kidding. Then, no, right? no, I wasn't no, no. kidding at all. No, no, no. Oblivious. Like I was oblivious because I have to say that as much as I love my career 
and the things that I've done, the projects that I've been a part of, I can definitely say that at least during that time specifically, especially because like I have an, in, you know, I have, an, I have an infant at home and like all this kind of stuff. I'm not thinking about, I, I wasn't thinking about like, oh, what important thing can I do for the show? I was just thinking about how can I do my job the best way possible? You know, how can I, how can I just do a great job? Yeah, but what, Con- but what Connolly was saying though, that I was kidding with you and I, and you know that I wasn't, I was obsessive. But and- you didn't think, I mean, you were thinking like, look, the answer to the unasked question is no. So I'll ask and then she'll ask. And I, I mean, I got to be honest, back then, my mindset was... You were super arrogant. No, there's absolutely, <laughs> there's absolutely nothing arrogant about it. It was just... Well, you got it done. You guys got it done. It was so. just, we have to get James Cameron. He's the only director that, in my mind, makes this stupid fucking movie called Aquaman, which now is a billion-dollar franchise. But back then, I thought it was a terrible idea, but James Cameron's Aquaman sounded like a great movie. He's like the guy that can pull it off. I have to flip this because um, I just had the time wrong. Ghost of the Abyss, which I did do while I was pregnant with Jamie, and then I did the Entourage pilot after he was born in the whole first season, and then went back to do another IMAX feature with Jim called Aliens of the Deep, which is what we were doing between seasons. Um, and you said, go get them. And I just had never had any thought that I would ever participate in such a critical way. And I was terrified. <laughs> like, I can't, I can't ask him. We had a, I mean, we have a great relationship, but there was nothing in me that said that would be cool for me to do. Uh, I was truly terrified. Well, was he was probably also thinking that it was out of character for you, right? To ask that? Completely. Right. Yeah, right. completely, completely. Well, I mean, listen. Which probably helped. But also, I mean, Janice, I want to I want to hear this, but that's out of character for, for anybody to walk up to James Cameron and go, hey, want to act in this TV show <laughs> that I'm doing that you probably have never heard of? Is that something you want to do while you're writing Avatar? <laughs> the best part of that is that he did know the show and he did love the show and he knew that Jessica had been on the show. Um, that's Jessica so Alba. Jessica Alba. Um, I wish Dylan was here because just remind me, I want to tell him a, a Jessica, n- not to backtrack, but a recent project I did. One of the, one of the folks that were working in my department, her name was Jessica and I could not help but channeling drama. And every time I saw her, I would say, Jessica, <laughs> <laughs> she does it good. She does From it that good. scene outside the earth cafe, like just one Jessica. of those things that always stuck with me. Janice, I mean, Jessica. I, 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 I want to get back to Cameron, but I just can't believe you, you don't want to be on camera. You're so natural on camera and you're killing it. And, and by the way, that, that drama impression was, was phenomenal. But anyway, so you just, so, so um, back to the story, you know what? So we, we were, we were either headed out to lunch or walking across the street to grab a coffee. Can't remember exactly. And I thought, you know, what do I have to lose? The worst thing that can happen is that he says no and is like a little annoyed with me. Rolls his eyes, uh, which is like, what, what I was crazy? terrified. Right. Which that's what I was terrified about that he would feel put out, and I that I put him in a bad position right, to have like, to say no because I was totally convinced that he would say no, um, but he didn't. He said yes. He did not even hesitate. Can you reenact it for us a little bit? You're like. Hey, I mean, do you call him Jim? Do you call him Jay? Like, is it? And also, I want to just set the stage so everyone today understands. James Cameron will be the biggest director in the world again in about, what, (laughs) 18 months? When 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 Avatar comes out. But at this point, he is by far and away 
the biggest, most sought-after director in the world, and he's not an actor as far as I know. He's still uh, in a league of his own. Of course right? he he's is. But I, I, just want, I just want the, the whole world to understand at this point, it is like, it is Moby Dick going after Moby Dick. So, Janice, tell us, give us every detail of this. Well, it was a long time ago, <laughs> so I can give you the highlights. Right. He said, yeah, he said, um, whatever I can get done in a day, I will do. Right. My heart was pounding. <laughs> I was so nervous. And when he said, sure, whatever I can do in a day, I'll do. Wow. Uh, and the, the elation was just unparalleled. And I couldn't wait to call Doug and I couldn't believe it. And I thought, you know, I better just, I better just like wait a day just in case he changes his mind. And, you know, uh, no, but I didn't. I, I called you right away and we were all very, very happy. And, and Janice, course- you say the elation was unparalleled. I remember it. I'm not kidding. I'm not a religious person at all. I got on my knees. I looked up to the sky and I said, thank you, God, because I honestly did not believe we had a second season if we didn't get him to be the director of this movie. I swear. And Lev was like, you're crazy. I'm like, I'm telling you, Aquaman sucks. James Cameron's Aquaman is a giant hit. And that was my obsession. And and you made it happen. Yeah, you did. But Janice, do you, do you so uh, again, I hate to get bogged down in the details, but you're like, hey, Jim, so you know the show Entourage I've been working on? You've seen it? Yeah, I've seen it. Well, they really want you to do it. They're talking about you a lot on the, uh, you know, in a few of the episodes and they'd love you to pop in. Did you kind of lay out that it was a story arc based around him? And was you curious about that? I, I don't know. I was like, you know, when you go in for an audition and you have your lines memorized and when you walk out, you have no idea what <laughs> you just said or did. It just, it happened. And now you're in this like afterglow of like, holy shit, you that just happened. But can I be honest? Cause I do know what happened, Janice. And it's like, if someone thought I was valuable right now to their project and you called me up, I would do it for you. And I think James did it for you and Jessica. I don't think he, like, I like to dream that no, he read. he totally did. I like to dream totally that did. he read the, the favorite script. was for Janice. But I like to dream right. that he read the script and he's like, oh my God, who wrote this? He should write my next movie. But that didn't happen, so. He did not say that. <laughs> so sorry. Um, but <laughs> he did do it as a favor to me. Well, I owe you for life for that. The one thing that I always say about James Cameron when he when he came on, directing is such an intense job. He seemed really happy to not be directing. Like he came into the makeup trailer and he sat down and he's getting his makeup done. He's like, "Is this what you actors bitch and complain about all day? <laughs> Sitting in chairs and getting your hair done and made up?" He he just came in and he he was holding court. He was just abused, made fun of all the actors. We were we were dying, but he just seemed so at ease. Where, you know, I guess it's just, it's a fun day for him, you know? But you know what, Jim, Jim's that guy, he can relate. He can relate to anyone. You know, he's, he's very kind and, and generous and conversational and, and, and relatable. And I, I remember that day very clearly because I will say even 16 years later, such a highlight, such a highlight for me to be able to enjoy that moment with our team and with him was so special. It was incredible. Do you remember how the day started, though? (laughs) Yeah, I remember how the day started because, as I said earlier, I didn't always spend a lot of time on set unless we were doing something that related to visual effects or playback. But because Jim was going to be there, I was kind of his ambassador to the show. And so I spent the day with you guys, and I just remember um, taking the cart over to his trailer (laughs) to to drive him over to, um, this was on the Paramount lot, and we were shooting the helicopter scene where actually I, I thought I thought the line producer was going to kill me because when you originally wrote the scene 
in the helicopter, somebody else was piloting <laughs> and Jim was just in this other seat on the phone. And I said, there's no way Jim would let somebody else fly <laughs> the helicopter. That's so awesome. <laughs> it has to be Jim. Um, anyway, so we, we jumped in the cart and we're heading over to the blue wall, you know, yep. the big blue, yep. the big blue wall and the wind machines are going and everybody's doing their thing. And we're, we're pulling up and the helicopter sitting there and Jim turned to me and he said, Oh, that looks just like mine. <laughs> I'm like, all right, I'm in another stratosphere. I don't, I don't know what's happening, but I'm just going to enjoy this day. I, I will uh, say there it, was it really a, was great. There was a lot of, uh, you know, obviously obvious wow moments when we were doing Entourage, but to pull up, I remember pulling up and watching our crew and James Cameron in that helicopter in front of that giant blue iconic Paramount wall and thinking, holy fucking shit, that is James Cameron. I remember that too. But the it, day, it was like hair the, in the back of your neck. But the day yeah. started that I arrive and someone goes, Oh, yeah, we had the whole thing going that he didn't like the script. And, like, they're calling him JC, which maybe that's what people call him. <laughs> but they're like, JC is fucking pissed at you. And I'm like, at me? I haven't even seen him yet. They're like, he said this is not the script he approved. This is bullshit. And he's yelling at everybody. Now, also, Janice, you've never told me anything, but James was great to work with. But there were rumors around town that he was quite difficult well, so always when you're doing a 200 million dollar movie yeah uh, you know somebody's got to sometimes raise your raise their voice i'm not i don't know anything not, about that i'm not saying whether he's ever been difficult or not all i'm saying is 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 people said he you was were scared of Cameron. i was scared to death of Cameron, <laughs> right. and then i hear he's pissed at me and he doesn't like <laughs> he doesn't like the script, script is so i shit. get in my golf cart and i honestly remember i'm like a little like shaking and i get to the set and there's a whole group around him and he's yelling, who wrote this shit, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh my God. And I look at Janice. Do you remember this, Janice? Because I look at you and I'm like, please help me. You know, I was a major did architect just, behind that setup. Did I just shrug? <laughs> I was so, one of the architects behind that setup. So anyway, it was a practical joke and it was amazing. And the day, like Kevin says, it was a wild day. But then Janice, we needed him back. So this was all, this, oh all of this was amazing and wonderful, but it was only topped by the fact that Doug had not written the final episode yet. So even though all along it was like, we have one day, it's one day. You have to write every scene you want that we can shoot in one day. It's one day, just one day <laughs> over and over again. But um, the final episode was not written yet. So we did our one day and that was it. Uh, a little time goes by. <laughs> scripts, scripts are rolling out for the season. And episode eight comes out, hits my desk. <laughs> And Jim's in the script. And I'm like, Doug, what the fuck are you doing? We, we, we're, this is not going to happen. It's not going to happen. We, we, can't, we can't do it. Can you please ask? Can you just please ask? Oh, God. No, I can't. I, I can't ask. I can't. I, I can't do it. Please, please ask. <laughs> I, I don't want to give up on this. Like, this is the ending. This is the proper ending. So I asked. And the answer was, unfortunately, no, because Jim was going to be out of town on some test dive with some submarines. <laughs> he was in the Mariana Trench right. in a submarine. He was not in the Mariana Trench, but I, they were they were testing some submersibles. No joke. So Jim's going to be out of town testing testing some submersibles, and he's not available for the day you're shooting. 
And I said, understood, no problem. I go back to Doug. I say, sorry, bro. That's a no-go. He's out of town. He's not available. Another couple of weeks go by. No rewrite. Production is looming. Everyone's like, we need a script to prep with. What are we supposed to, what are we doing? What are we doing? Weeks go by. And then out of the blue, sitting at my desk, and I get this call, and it's Jim's assistant. And she says, hey, just circling back on your shoot, the schedule has changed. And Jim's wondering if you still want him Wow. To work with you guys that day. And I said, no, we rewrote it. We, we got Rob <laughs> Weiss like, directing it. I mean, I cannot tell you the joy that just ran through the entire company. Um, I couldn't believe it because they didn't have to do that, even if the schedule had changed. There was no reason in the world that they would, A, remember the date to begin with and have it, you know, push pin to the, to the board. Um, and so... Uh, Doug just, he never gave up on it. He never gave up on it. Again, people out there listening, sometimes there is. You can be annoying or you can relentlessly pursue what you want. And I was obsessive with the show on every single detail. The fact that we got him was amazing. And I also think, Janice, which you can tell me, I think it was a testament to our entire crew and our production because he actually, he had a good time doing it. It was, he, he enjoyed he enjoyed the process. And I think- If he had a bad day that first day, he would have not been back. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, the hilarious part of that is that in season three, <laughs> which I wasn't even in because I went to have two back surgeries in a row. Um, so I wasn't, I wasn't working with you guys on season three. But Jim came back again to, to walk the red carpet. Oh, my God. So we're in Westwood. And I, I, I joined on set. Uh, so we're in Westwood at the Aquaman premiere. That was the beginning of season three. Oh, right? yeah. Yep. Yep. Episode one. And people were driving by thinking that a real premiere was going on. <laughs> and they were like outraged that they hadn't heard anything about this film coming out and how it had it been. People were like leaning out of their car <laughs> windows and screaming, you know, screaming at the crew. And, um, but so Jim walked to the red carpet and I can't remember who was directing that episode. That would have been, uh, that would have been Julian. It was definitely Julian. Julian. Farina. I can see but a picture point, of Julian and Cameron together yeah. actually. Okay, but at one point, so Jim's really tall. And at one point, it was someone else's coverage. But I'll say we, they, wanted to see Jim moving up the red carpet, like continuing down the press line while Adrian was whatever. So just so everyone, so I can set up what this means is you're asking one of the biggest filmmakers in the world to, be to basically be an extra <laughs> in the background of somebody else's scene. Somebody else's this scene. So is what I'm saying. So he's moving down the line and realizes the setup. It's not his setup. It's, <laughs> it's Adrian's. And he's so tall. And somehow his eyes found me <laughs> in, the, in Video Village. And he gave me the... He gave you that you're look at gonna, aliens like you're about to die. You're not, you're, you're not going to let me be an extra, are you? <laughs> that was the look. And I was like, all right, time to go. Got to go. Got to go, guys. We're out of here. <laughs> you got to move, move the camera. got to do something. I'm like, this can't happen. It really oh. is. For the audience knows, my plan, which was a horrible plan, maybe the worst plan other than killing Vincent Chase. The bad plan was that Aquaman, James Cameron's Aquaman, Bombs. was going to be a bomb. Now, I wasn't going to do that because... 
I thought James Cameron would ever make a bad movie. I was doing it for story. But Janice, tell us what happened. I think he told you that there's no way that his film could be anything but a walloping success. <laughs> he wrote me a two-page letter. Oh, he did. So, But did he catch wind of the... I don't know how it happened, but he wrote... Well, he had the scripts. He had the scripts. I have to find that letter. You should have that letter. In a yeah, you lost the letter. Box. No, he no, didn't lose it. It's somewhere. It's somewhere, which is tragic that it's not framed. But it was it was legitimately two pages with exquisite detail of why this movie is going to work and how his speech at the Oscars. I mean, it was so funny, brilliant, and amazing. And then I said, and but he's also saying, and and while you're at it, make the show that movie's a hit, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which was kind of the first time we realized that this show, just like when Steve Gagan came to us and and I wrote a scene and he said, hey Doug, just I'm not being egotistical, but you say I get X amount of dollars a week. People take this show very seriously, like it's real, and you're going to reduce my rates. We don't want people thinking I. Want- <laughs> I don't want people thinking I work for 25 grand a week. I yeah. make 250. Whatever the <laughs> Something stupid like that. You guys remember the two-page box office ad that HBO took out in Variety, right? Yeah. With the Aquaman yeah. box office? Yeah, well, I also yeah. remember Joe... Fake box office, Joe- 116 million opening weekend. Yep, that was amazing. And also, the amazing thing is, on CNBC, Joe Kernan, who... I'm going to get into Joe Kernan later. because Doug's pulled- mad at him. No, this uh, not mad at him. This jerk-off pulled some shit when the movie was coming out that I'll never forgive him for. And I have the emails from him, what a clown he is. But at the time, he was a big fan of us. And he went on CNBC and announced the box office record had been broken. Spider-Man was beaten by Aquaman. And people thought he had made a mistake, but he was a big fan of the show. And it went all over the place. I there was remember no, that. There was no viral at that point, but it was pretty incredible. Janice, with how far digital has come now, how much easier is it for the filmmaker uh how much easier is it on your end with regards to all right we can put on a light here we can remove a fire extinguisher we can turn a red car purple how much has technology helped or hurt your job um i would say neither i think all of these advancements uh are just a natural progression that give us tools um, to enhance our craft, right. right? Because what happens is back in the day when we were cutting film, the schedules were two or three times as long to post an episode. So as we introduced digital editing and digital intermediates, now that just means like we can do more in the same amount of time. So you know how it is like work expands or contracts to fill the time that we have. And so the more tools we have to make certain things easier, that opens the door to do more things, which I think is fantastic. It's great. And, and, and I, and I love it all. And I, and it's really great to be able to have strategies when things, you know, stuff comes up on set all the time, little things like things you don't even think about. Um, where, you know, you're shooting at a location, all of a sudden you can see the whole crew in the window reflections or, exactly. you know, like all kinds of things happen. And, and now we can say, yes, we can fix that easily. Right. And it's not going right. to break the bank or, or, or whatever the answer is. I, I, I love, I love the expansive tools. Um, and it doesn't make my job easier or harder. It just gives me more ways to say, yes, I can do. If you were giving advice to a young filmmaker, I mean, look, obviously 
everybody here, certainly our, our age group, of course, there's a, a nostalgia and a love for film and film in the camera. And just hearing the film in the camera is such a sweet sound. But if I'm doing a TV show and, and I say, Janice, what do I do? Do I shoot this on film or I'd shoot it on digital? Uh, what what would you what what's your suggestion? Digital, right? Honestly, I don't. I, well, honestly, I don't think that question would come up anymore. Based on how television broadcast works and delivery paradigms and all of that stuff, I don't know that anybody is is contemplating film as a as a acquisition medium anymore for television. Um, but honestly, if all things being equal. The advice that I would give would be to really thoroughly flush out what your creative vision is and make sure you are fulfilling that in every way possible. So if if you have designed something that requires it to be shot on film because you like the way it looks or the the colleagues that you're working with um, like working with film versus digital, then that's the answer, right? Because by the time we did the Entourage movie, I think everybody was fairly surprised that we shot it on film. Yeah, well, that was Fearberg and I wanted to keep it on film. And, now, would you, uh, yeah. if you had to do it again, would you do it on film again? Hundred percent. I mean, you know, if the studio, if the studio let us, yeah. It's also like a legacy, a legacy aspect of the show. When you have a DP that you really believe in and trust, if he wants to shoot on film and you can make that happen, which you know, Warner Brothers did argue with us about it a lot, but. If you can make that happen, you want to make it happen. Well, because as an actor, you know, digital is great, right? Or, or you know, you just, you can just keep going or you can, you know, yeah. you have to cut and maybe it makes, I know it may, it's a night, must be a nightmare for editors and, and, and post-production, but. No, no, I, I don't think so. I mean, of, yes, of course, the amount of footage that, that we get has expanded exponentially, but at least for me as um, a manager a large department that involves picture editorial. Um, I take that into account and I schedule accordingly as best I can so that people don't get overwhelmed and they have enough time to work with the material and put their best foot forward. So Janice, other stuff that you had a big hand in, but as far as some of the amazing things that we were able to pull off, like the U2 concert, like Jim Cameron, we got Led Zeppelin for the last song of the show. Now, we we put songs in this show throughout that were very difficult to get, very expensive, and we somehow managed to keep pulling them off. But do you remember how the Led Zeppelin situation, we're talking about going to California, the last song? Of- oh, yeah. The last song of the last episode of the last season. Yep. Um, obviously, there was a lot of focus on what that was going to be, and it was a very inspired choice between you and, and, and Ben. That was actually Venner. Sadly, even though Led Zeppelin's my favorite band, that was Venner's, Venner's call very early on. Such a unique perspective and voice that he has. And it was such an amazing call. And that was an amazing shot, by the way, the two planes, oh, yeah. which was oh, yeah. one of which was digital. <laughs> one of the issues we ran into is that one of the members of the band who had to sign off. So this is Jimmy Page and Robert Plant were the two members that had to right. sign off. And the, you know, my memory of it is, is a little bit murky, but one, the, the, the song was a lot of money, um, <laughs> rightfully so. But security at the time, content security, was really of utmost importance. And we had to be able to show them the scene and, and parts of the episode in order to get their approval. Um, And we went round and round about this because one of the members 
was living like out in the country in a castle, like up a freaking mountain somewhere that no internet. And, and so the whole secure streaming acts, you know, the whole secure streaming like pics or um, that we usually use to send people things safely was not going to be available. So then it became this question of like, well, how are we going to get them something that's secure? It had to be like hand carried on a plane. And I was just, we were just envisioning like some guy taking a Blu-ray, riding his bicycle up the mountainside to show the, you know, show the episode and get approval. Imagine that though, right? If, if the if the finale episode got leaked, that would have been a disaster. Yeah. Disaster, wow. disaster. Um, but but we got it, and it was it was a beautiful a beautiful thing. It's kind of how it, what it's how we got Kevin Dillon's scripts, by the way, for eight seasons because he couldn't uh, accept internet. So, do you remember how difficult it was? Yeah, to he get likes any hard copies. Quality to, to Dillon pulling off that going to California thing, which. You know, jazz. I never realized that that was that big of a thing. Oh, That's one of the things that as actors and, you know, people, again, but the, all these things are happening behind the scenes. And this is after we shot. I mean, who knows? I, you know, we were gone where everybody's gone off doing whatever else it is. Another, but that's another <laughs> example of, of Doug. You really just did not. You just did not give up on that. And what well, was also the Bono didn't thing. Didn't let any of us give up on it. So. You had that kind of vibe that was like mine, which was relentless, which is why, you know, what was your, let's talk about a little bit your relationship with our, our resident music genius, Scott Venner, who was my friend from, he was my ex-wife's friend from college who I brought on to like, look at the show who within three years became, you know, our music guy and now has a podcast with Pharrell and it's a big, uh, he's a celebrity of sorts. He is fantastic. And he really... He really challenged me to think differently. Um, I, I I give him so much credit for that. He, you know, he and I um, were only just getting to know each other before I went on break to go do Avatar for a few years. So by the time I came back um, in our final season, actually everything about coming back in the final season was such a joy for me. Um, it just felt like summer camp. <laughs> Honestly, it was like loud music and lots of laughs and old friends. And and it was and it was really great. And especially having settled into more of the music paradigm and and how you guys develop that character of the show over time was was such a, a, a pleasure. And of course, I've worked with Scott on other projects now too, the movie and Ballers and he never he never ceases to amaze me with his choices and something that i thought i would never like or never think of on my own or i thought would just be a an a failure you would put it up it would be inexplicably wonderful actually i will never forget um the jimmy the um the Jimmy Kimmel episode, the green room. And one of the, one of the, so you did this quintessential shot of the guys coming down the hallway to go to the green room, like, you know, all walking in a row, slow-mo, uh, arriving at the Jimmy Kimmel show. And that was one of the controversial music selections in, in our history. We just, we, we just couldn't get it. Like everything we tried, you hated everything. I remember, I think my son was just walking. So maybe he was a year, a year old. And this is back in the day where we had to send stuff around on VHS tapes, right? So Venner had, had put up this song, which was LL Cool J, Headsprung. And it was put on tape to the scene. 
uh, and sent around to us. Which it actually starts at the house first. Yes. Yeah. My son, who was barely walking, who had never heard rap music <laughs> in his life, was in the other room. I popped the tape in and the music starts and my little toddler literally comes waddling out of the other room, <laughs> dropping it like it was hot, like dropping his ass. Like he was, all, he'd never heard that. It was hilarious. And I knew it. I'm like, that's the one that's going to be the one that's that amazing. goes in the show. It was no doubt about it. And that is what, that is what. It's funny when you hear it, it's hard to know, but you hear it and then you just know. You know what? Sometimes, you know, we had debates about things and there were early on, you know, it would be my decision, uh, you know, by season four or five, as I said, I would go Venner, I trust you go pick it. And yeah, there were things that I did not think worked until I heard it two or three times, which I think with anything great, sometimes you don't get it the first time. Sometimes it takes a, you know, a second to get it. But the amount of things that he picked that really just people reacted to was also incredible. breaking new stuff. I mean, just a character all its own. Um, I want to, I just want to touch on something that you said before Connolly, cause it's, it's an, a, a, a little known anecdote. You were talking about when, when you guys are long gone yeah. and after the fact, and we're still around finishing the show. And one of the most dreaded things A-D-R. that we had to do in the, yes, in the early days before HBO didn't care about replacing swear words and things. So like the first two seasons, ultimately they did away with it. But at the end of the season, we always had to have the guys come in and replace all of their swear words, which was like every third word sometimes. <laughs> I don't know that Jerry remembers this story, but it, um, it was a very embarrassing moment for me on the show. So Jerry was coming in that day to do ADR, and it was for all of his bad word replacements. And so he had hours of work to do. Let's put it that way. I mean, enough that we had to break for lunch and come back to finish. So I just want to explain to everybody what this what this is, is you literally have to sync up your dialogue to your own mouth. So the actor is trying to recreate how he said it on set in a studio booth. On the day, if I say, hey, guys, let's get the fuck out of here. We go back in months later and we go, guys, come on, let's get the heck out of here. And you try to re-record <laughs> right. and do the yeah, same exact horrible. thing. Pretty <laughs> horrible. Right. And some of the, some of the, uh, the alternate lines of, of the suggestions would be just ridiculous, but there was just no other word for it. There was no other word. But you know, you know who always made up their own words? Piven. A master. Like his ADR replacement was a comedy show in itself. I wish I had recorded them. Like what? But for back instance, to the story. Like instead of fucking, he'd say, flipping. "Oh, he would just be like cheese and crackers, e." You know, just shit like that. Instead of Jesus Christ, like he would just make up. But was he trying to make it work for the syndication thing, or was he trying to just make sure? Yeah, it was. Could it was use it? No, 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 no. It was for syndication, but he just thought outside the box. And he was like, I got this. Just open the mic and I, I'll do it. And then he would just roll. Right. He right. would just he would just roll right through it. Everything was hilarious, but still in character. Somehow, even words that were complete nonsense made sense. It was uncanny. The daunting one, season three was 20 episodes long. So we know that we have 20 episodes of curse words and everybody was allowed to break it down a little bit. Like some people wanted to come in and just knock them all out in two days. I was like, listen, I want to do a couple hours spread out over a few months because I just, it was just really hard. <laughs> That's really helps for Janice. That's great for us. Yeah, it's great really for great us. For it was Janice. really hard for me to handle, but to be in there all day long. And then it got to the point where by season eight, you're going, I'm just not going to curse here. 
because I don't need to, and I don't. Well, it's going to end hilariously. Up. Hilariously, they would always ask if we were shooting alternates. <laughs> yeah, like we had time not, for that. Right. Yeah, but yeah. Janice, get um, back to Jerry. What back happened? To with Jerry? Story, back to the story is we went to lunch, and during lunch, I got food poisoning. I went to the bathroom. I wasn't feeling good, and I passed out on the floor, sick, like fucking passed out cold. Right. So Jerry is like <laughs> at lunch waiting to go back to the studio and I'm unconscious on the floor in the bathroom. And when when I came around, I, ha- I had to have my sister come get me. So I left my car there. I don't even know what like oh, I I don't know what happened to Jerry. I'm like, someone's got to tell Jerry just to he had to carry on with the ADR supervisor. But I never. By the way, that's what's so amazing I, I had to about be like that's what's so amazing about you, Janice. You're embarrassed that you were so sick that you passed out. Conley's not embarrassed, though, that he wanted three months to do his ADR. He's like, let's do 15 minutes a month. How about that? I'd like to do a little bit of the time. Two hours today, two hours next week, two hours. It was very embarrassing. Anyway, I had to be be like carried out of there and driven home. Well, I do. I, I mean, as I will keep saying, Janice, you were the ultimate trooper on this show. You were the person that without, I mean this, without you, nothing would have gotten done because you were, your job at some point has to be like, this is a bad word to use, but like the nag who has to say, guys, I need this by now, not tomorrow, not Tuesday. And the show is going to air on Sunday. We need this by. But you guys never fought me. I I have to say. You were awesome. You guys never. You were the ultimate trooper. So first of all, I'm going to give some props to Connolly because I don't know why this sticks in my memory. You did me this small kindness that really made me feel good. It was one of the mansions. There were several where you guys lived. And I don't know the occasion for me being there, but I happened to be on set that day. And it was not long after a recent promotion in my title. And again, I don't remember all the details, but I was standing talking to someone on the driveway of this house I can't remember the whole context of the conversation, but some, somebody said something like da, 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 da. And this is our post supervisor, Janice. And you happened to be walking down the driveway at just that moment. And I don't even know why or how you would have been paying attention to any of those details, but you stopped and you said, no, producer. And then you turned around and you kept walking. And also, too, I would I would credit that back to thank you for the compliment. But I would credit that back to Doug because Doug, you know, was there. And, and whenever the heat was on, he's yelling and screaming about Janice, like like he's calling out for his mom, like, well, we need Janice. So I, I always knew how important you were. And I knew that you became a producer. And I and I, you know, listen, I, I've done some stuff behind the camera. So I, I have a full understanding of how important it is and, and, and what it is that you do. And I think it's amazing. And I'm glad you remember that and, story. And I, do, but I, always knew I will say that though, because again, how things work, like writers, you move up because there's a guild and you go from staff writer, producer to executive producer, whether you're doing the things that Janice was doing, because in my mind, Janice was as high as anybody on the show. And you did the things that um, nobody else was capable of, let alone, you know, willing to do. And, uh, I'll always thank you and appreciate it. Yeah, and Janice, I, I, before, earlier, I, like, I used the word tedious, and I hope that didn't, I hope that, I, I, may, I know that might have been a poor choice of words, but I, it was just getting to my, furthering my point of once we're long gone, 
And that's like in the rearview mirror. And we celebrated the U2 victory that night. And then the fact that you're going, all right, now I got it. Now there's like a little bit of a hiccup. And now I'm dealing with Bono's manager. And and, and it took two days to yeah, that, that Well, that's, what, that's yeah. what I'm saying. So I, I don't want tedious, but like the details and the, and the, the, what goes in? This isn't a poor. It isn't a poor word, but I, you know, obviously we're all cut out for our our specific expertise, and the the detail part of it, of course, is equally loved and hated, um, but mostly loved. I think it is because of all of our commitment to the details of our role. That's why, in at least in part, we found success. I'm sure that you give the same amount of tedious attention to (laughs) learning. No, learning. But, you know, when you're when you're learning lines or you're creating or or researching your backstory or or whatever that is. What I will what I will say is you're 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 dismissing that. And look, we know actors there. There probably are. They are probably the most important thing on the show because people are either going to like them or not. And all the work that we do behind the scenes, if you don't like that cash, you're fucked. But let's be really honest, Janice. They have the easiest job once they get the job and one once the show is successful. One million I mean, percent. And Connolly knows that as a director, one as a producer. Percent. And without the work of, of someone like yourself who obsesses and makes sure that things get done and make sure that you can handle all the egos of all the assholes that you're dealing with on different levels. And deadlines on time. But Janice has to deal with everyone. She has to get the calls when HBO's upset about something, when the director's upset about something, when the editor's upset about something. When you're upset about something. I think Janice and I really, I think, and if if, if I didn't, I'd be happy to say it, but we actually, we got on pretty good. I don't think we had too many disputes between us over the years. We we got along fantastically. And... Um, I can only remember two arguments that we ever had. I had two arguments with him this morning, so that's a good start. <laughs> so I think we're doing. In fact, our first argument was over. Uh, we were on the uh, the the little sidekicks. It was the best argument ever, and it was all on the sidekick. Sidekick um, fighting we were was also, amazing. We were also addicted to the sidekick. But you like can't tell that. context on that. I was probably being really sweet. Really you misread it. <laughs> you, you listen. You 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 were you were. Um, a closet sweetheart always. And I will say that always um, you, you were always a champion for me Um, and working on the show, you guys, all of you, you and Lev and you guys were always looking out for me. And I really appreciate that. And that just, that just was really fulfilling um, in, in a job where sometimes you, it's possible to feel unrecognized. Um, but I never felt that way. With well, Janice, we love you. We appreciate it. Maybe someday if I ever decide to grind my life away again like that, maybe we'll run it back. But this was awesome to catch up with you. Maybe when the pandemic's over, we'll do another another hour where we come in and talk to you live. I would love to. There's so many stories we didn't get to. Um, and that just goes to show you what a, you know, what a time of of impact and joy and all, all of those things that, that you go through on a production being, being a part of this one was really tremendous for me. All right. Well, we thank you and uh, we miss you and we love you and we hope yeah. to see you soon. Thank you. Thank Thanks you, for Janice. inviting me guys. Yep. Well, hopefully everyone enjoyed it and uh, we'll do it again. We're going to get uh, some more DPs and editors on in the upcoming weeks. And uh, thanks so much for listening. This is Victory the Podcast. I'm Doug Ellen. Follow Victory the Podcast page on Instagram. And I'm Kevin Connolly. Thanks for listening. Have a good weekend. Oh.